Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or else the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them at any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So, are you all up for a little interactive time here? So it's not just me? I, I'm not, some of you don't look so sure? Yeah. All right, so here's the deal. Science tells us that there's something in you that hopefully is functioning well. Your, it's called your olfactory gland. And what does that help us do? Smell. Smell. You get, okay. And then the other part of this is that there's a strong link of, of the five senses that, that that sense is most connected to memory. Memory. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you uh, just a little bit of time here. I'll throw out a few things to prime the pump, but things that might bring back memories to you. So, uh, for example, uh, cut grass reminds me, that smell of cut grass on a summer day or whatever reminds me of playing as a kid, and that has warm memories for me. Or some of you like burning leaves in the fall, that does it for you. And then there's those food things like we had popcorn over there today. Just saying the word popcorn, I see some of you just kind of lift a little bit in your seats. Chocolate, there you go. Bacon, little sizzle there. Uh, coffee, come on, what else? My mother's perfume. Mother's perfume, good. Pot roast. It works. Whatever works, yeah. Fresh OG. Just let's just call it good right now and go home. That's yeah, good stuff. All right. So um, you get the idea, though. And in the Bible, there are well, in with science in the Bible, over ten thousand uh, things. Your nose can distinguish between ten thousand different smells. Did you know that? At least if it's operating properly. And then in the Bible, God gives us hundreds of, there's hundreds of verses that have to do with uh, smell connecting in some way with his presence, and it's usually with things like incense or the fragrant offerings that were being burned in the temple or oils that have fragrance to them, which is where we're going to go here this morning. And then I have to say, I have a a daughter-in-law, and if you're a daughter-in-law of mine, I have three, 
you will get teased. That's just the rule. I told them that before they got married. So they know that when it happens, it, it, it just means I love you. And if I go too far, just tell me. But I, this one uh, daughter-in-law, uh, she is into essential oils. Do you know anybody that's into essential oils? Because if they are, they think that whatever ails you, they've got the cure for, right? I mean, it's just, there's nothing that essential oils can't cure. According, So uh, I have fun with that. And I, I, send, I will send her things like this right here. I just need a few dabs of oil and I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, all right, there's the... Now, okay, we're in this story, weird story, right? Unless, you're, unless you've been in church too long, this is a weird story. Just reading it, you're in a place there having dinner together, Jesus is there. A woman comes in and pours really, really expensive oil over his head. That's weird. But um, then, even kind of stranger in a sense, is that Jesus makes this prophecy over her and says that whenever the gospel is told, and we're going to be about the gospel here this morning, that's kind of the main thing that we have in Jesus. Whenever that gospel gets told, wherever it gets told, you will remember what this woman did. And he doesn't say that about anybody else. That this, is, this is it. This is the one time he says it. You'll remember her. So we're going to remember her this morning, and in remembering her, find out what all of this has to do with us. So uh, I want to give you an overview here, and I'm also going to have my my friend Nick come on up here again. We'll do it on this side this time. Yeah, because I want to invite you. There's there's another interactive place, and what Jesus is anointed with is what is in this jar right here. It's called nard. That's with an N, not an L. <laughs> Got it? Yeah, yeah. We're gonna. And um, we'll anoint you on your wrist, and the words that you'll hear will be uh, on this side. Yeah, I'll make a sign of a cross there. I anoint you with the fragrance of Christ in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, Nick has done this before and survived uh, first service, and that is... That is strong stuff, is it not? Yeah, I want, yeah, yeah. That's part of what I want to make the point here. Yeah. Uh, so go ahead and have a seat. On, I was practicing on uh, Thursday with this just to find out, because I've never used this stuff before. And I did it on my forehead, and it was really, it was too much. I mean, it was just, whoa. So hold on to that. You're going to see how that comes into play here. Okay, so you're going to have an opportunity later uh, when I'm done with what I'm doing here. Uh, we're going to walk through this. And um, one, of, one of the things that I want to uh, appeal to you is that this, this, uh, this memory uh, smell comp, uh, connection thing, what they say is that the smell ties into not your rational side of your brain, but your irrational side. And hopefully you have both. It's <laughs> good. But that there's this emotional memory stuff that you have deep within you. And uh, we're going to... Uh, um, so I'm gonna, that's where I want to go here. That's, I believe that's what the scripture is going towards, and we'll see that as, as we go through this. All right, we're going to read, just read through these verses as we have been doing. And before I go, though, I have to say something about chapter 13 because we left off in chapter 12. And if you, this is like, we've gone from 12 to 14. This is like going into one of those buildings in downtown Seattle and there's no 13th floor. You know what I'm saying? You look in the elevator. and So why is that? Well, we just don't have time. 
uh, we're going to try to get done by Easter. And, or on Easter, we want to be talking about the resurrection and not something else. Does that make sense? And, and yeah, so and chapter 13 is, is a very long chapter that has to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ, a very important topic. Uh, but we just to do it would have been skimming it, and it just wouldn't have worked. But the other point that I want to make is that it's the last time we see Jesus at the temple. We've been there the last, I don't know, eight weeks, whatever, however long it's been since the 1st of January. He's been teaching at the temple and in the temple courts, and he's no longer there. The whole temple is about the sacrificial system that where you can go and get right with God. Jesus Christ, in this next few days, becomes the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb. We're in Passover week. And so he will take the temple upon himself and become that temple. So it's Anyway, it's interesting, it, it's something that we should pay attention to, that he will no longer be there. There's a transition that's going on in the story. Chapter 14, now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, those were two different things, but they got combined, uh, and that's kind of a complicated thing we don't need to go into. Um, were, they were only two days away, so we're probably, we don't know because of the, the way they talk about the calendar during this week, but we're probably on Wednesday night of Holy Week. And Jesus is is going to be crucified when? On, on Friday, right? Uh, at, uh, uh, he dies at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We're somewhere around 40 hours in advance right now of that, of his death. So it's getting very, very close. And Mark is slowing down. He wants us to pay close attention to a lot of details uh, in these last days of Jesus. So they were two days away, uh, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, uh, my grandson would say, these are the bad guys, you know, in the story. They were looking for some sly or secret or sneaky way to arrest Jesus and to kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. So one of the things we know is that Jerusalem was normally, would have had a population at that time of somewhere around 30,000 to 50,000 people, just kind of on an everyday basis throughout the year. And during these uh, feasts that where everybody would come, because there's only one temple in Israel, they would all come. So the, the population would swell somewhere between three times to ten times the size that it would normally be. So you can imagine that there's an opportunity here for a riot to happen. A lot of people, a lot of rumors flying around, and the, uh, the, these bad guys, they see both an opportunity, but they know that the opportunity has to be done at just the right time. And so to do a good crime... Uh, if, oh, I shouldn't say it that way. There's no good. Don't do crime. <laughs> you didn't hear it here. Um, but you will have to have the means to do the crime, the motivation to do the crime, and the opportunity to do the crime. And this is what, what the courts try to prove, right? So do they have the means? Well, they, they think maybe they do. The Jews do not put people on crosses. Only the Romans do. And they've got... Uh, the means now that Jesus is in Jerusalem and the, the Romans are concerned about riots and what Jesus might be doing to stir things up. And so they're thinking, maybe there's a way we can get the Romans to crucify Jesus. There's the means. The motivation has been there since chapter 2, if you've been paying attention in Mark's gospel. That's a long time ago. We were there a year and a half ago uh, because we took a break in this whole thing. 
But chapter 2 of Mark talks about the same group of guys wanting to put Jesus to death. So they're motivated. Then opportunity. And here's the word right here in the text. They were looking for an opportunity. And if I could read at the very end of the reading that we had, we find that the opportunity actually does come their way. Verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. And that's where we'll be headed. The amount of money that Judas will get or receive for this betrayal is about $3,000 in our day. So just to give you a sense of proportion there. Okay, and then verse 3. While he was in Bethany, Jesus was, reclining, uh, let me get actually a map here before we go. Here's the temple where Jesus has been teaching. This is Jerusalem, and this is where he came in on Palm Sunday, and then every day since then, so probably Wednesday now, he goes out here and stays the night. This is about two miles, and you can imagine a two-mile walk, not that far. And we're probably out here then uh, Wednesday evening in Bethany. And uh, reclining at the table in the home of a man named Simon the leper. So most likely Simon the leper was someone who once, once had leprosy but had been healed by Jesus. That makes the most sense. But he's still known as Simon the leper. So I mean, it's hard to get rid of that nickname. <laughs> Not a good one. But I doubt if Jesus called him that. But that's how he was famously known in Bethany. So he's having dinner there and we know that in the first century when you had meals like this, social meals, that it would just be men. Or if there were women, they would be having their own deal. So you need to know that because of what happens next. A woman came in and with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Okay. Very expensive. So roughly in today's terms, dollars, $30,000 would be the amount. And for her, it would have been a family heirloom because wealth was hard to store in the first century. So this is one way you would store your wealth. It probably came from India. It was passed down to her by her mom or whatever. So uh, this stuff, it, it's, it's pure nard. It's, yeah, real expensive stuff. And it really smells, and Nick can testify. And you can all testify to that should you choose to come uh, later for that anointing thing that we're going to do. Um, it's, it's kind of a crazy to that, that thing. And I, you want to feel the, um, the extravagance and the maybe outrageous nature of this whole thing. This is very, very unusual behavior. Do you remember last week when we talked about uh, a woman at the end of chapter 12, a widow, and she put all that she had she had two coins to her name and she put them into the offertory. Do you remember that? And Jesus commended her for it and how strange that was and how 
out there that was for us to do something like that and how hard it would be for us to do something like that and all the rest and how it pointed to something that Jesus was about to do. And the literal translation of what she did, the text says that she put her whole life in. And then we talked about how that pointed towards Jesus putting his whole life in on the cross. The same way here with this woman, I don't know which is a, a bigger sacrifice, the two coins of the widow or this woman with her life savings, basically. That, I mean, at least her life savings that she brought and she broke open and poured it out on Jesus' head. It's very extravagant, but again, it points to Jesus being broken open and being poured out on you and me. I mean, all these little pointers. And the interesting thing is, let's hear it for women right now. Come on, men. Yeah, men, you can do this. Yep. This might make up for Valentine's Day. I don't know. But, but the, it's these two women in this week that get it. And the, there's other examples as well, but the, these two primarily are getting it. They're getting something about Jesus. They're seeing into what is going on in his heart. Okay. Extravagance. Um, most of you are not known for your extravagance, and that would be a good thing. So some people seem to live at this extravagant level, this you know way above the average standard of living. They can afford to do it. They have a lot of wealth, and it's not something that at least you would say about yourself or you would say about your spouse or whatever, right? That. We live modestly, and sometimes, though, so we don't have that extreme probably as much, but we have another extreme down at the bottom, and that is we don't do things very extravagantly, hardly ever. Which category are you closer to? And is it okay to be extravagant? Because this woman is very, very extravagant in what she's doing. And how do you know when it's okay to be extravagant? As you'll, you'll see, she could have given the money to the poor, a much more practical and maybe compassionate thing to do, but she chooses to be extravagant and pours the whole thing. Couldn't she just dabbed it like we're going to do, you know? She pours the whole thing on Jesus' head, and it would run down his body and onto his clothes and all that. I mean, that's extravagant. Well, time, it seems like timing is everything, to know what the time is. The kairos moment, that word kairos means that pregnant with meaning time. So, from just a little story, when my parents had their 40th anniversary in 1990, my brother and my two sisters and I, we uh, plotted, conspired secretly to fly into town. They were down in California, and we flew in there from up here, and we surprised them, and we had fun with that, surprising them, and then uh, we had to do a, 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 just a lot of stuff to make that happen. But, and that was the fun. But then when we were there, we took them out to dinner. We found out the, where the, like the most expensive restaurant... This is not... By the way, ask my wife. This is not who I am. I mean, I do, I do not, I'm not extravagant. But we felt like this was a time to be extravagant. And we agreed on it. And we went out to uh, Mama Gina's. I can still remember it. I said, and uh, it was an Italian restaurant, 
And I don't know if it was the most expensive restaurant in the area, but it was, it was really, you could tell. I mean, they, you know, they did stuff that doesn't normally happen at a restaurant. And uh, we had such a blast. And I remember the bill came, and it was, it was roughly $400. And there were four of us kids, and, and uh, you know, we looked at it, and, and then kind of in shock, we all laughed together. But we agreed that this was worth it. And uh, as the memories from that lingered, and you know, it's hard as adult children to have bonding time that was once there maybe or you know you get separated and things happen and and you can but that event was something that just kept us together through the death of both of my parents and they never made it to their 50th by the way my mom died before that and so thankful are we today when we get together and we talk about that event we were extravagant and we should have been I I'm here to tell you We, we were and we should have been now, we can't, if we did that every year on the 41st and 42nd and all the rest, that probably wouldn't be good. It wouldn't have been a surprise anymore. Would, the fun wouldn't be there. This woman knows that there is something happening in Jesus, that he's, maybe she even knows that it's just days away. Really, you can count the hours until he's hanging on a cross. She's preparing his body for burial, Jesus says. She gets what none of the 12 disciples get. They all miss it. And he's told them plainly three different times what's going to happen. And they don't get it, but she does. Women's intuition, whatever. Well, um, is it a waste? No, it's not a waste. Um, They look at her religiously and spiritually and indignantly, and they try to shame her, and Jesus says no. Let's listen to his response. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Now I'm going to come back to that one. She's done a beautiful thing. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them at any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. There's another phrase there that we want to come back to. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I want to focus uh, on that phrase, uh, she did a beautiful thing to me. This is, this is uh, actually one of my favorite quotes. It's from uh, Dostoevsky, but beauty will save the world. And you have to think about that. So we're going to do that here. I'm going to maybe tie into that rational side for a sec. How is beauty going to save the world? How is beauty going to save the world? And here's a a follow-up question to that. When you think about the cross of Christ, is it ugly or beautiful? And it's kind of a trick question. Uh, Our our youth group is going to be seeing the um, passion, uh, Mel Gibson's one from 10 years ago. And, you know, one of the things that I, I, I... Some people wanted to watch it more than once. I don't know how you do it, Nick, man, every year. It's just so... Uh, I, I guess it, it brings out an ugliness that, of the process of, of what happened, and it, it's so graphic and all the rest. But in that, if you stand back and look at it from a different angle, you'll also see a beauty that is there. Something that comes through, that somehow this God who had all the riches 
Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, who had all the riches of heaven, choosing to come down and submit himself to this. I mean, it's ugly. It shouldn't happen. It's awful. But there's a reason they call it Good Friday. It's beautiful in a way. Beauty will save the world. But you have to look for it. It's interesting that Dostoevsky spent years in Russian prisons and that many who have written on the thought deeply about what beauty is in this world have lived really, really hard lives of suffering. There's something about suffering and beauty that, I don't know, it's not what you'd think, but it, that's, if you look at the cross over here that Pam Beer did on the wall, if you, if you pay close attention to it, you'll see both beauty and the, the suffering of Christ. And artists have just, you know, how many, how many art renditions of the crucifixion do we have? There's no end to it. They're still being produced today. Beauty will save the world. This is... Uh, Milos, the poet, uh, whose first name I can't pronounce and whose last name I can barely pronounce, but at any rate, it's good stuff. And when people cease to believe that there is good and evil, only beauty will call to them and save them so that they still know how to say, this is true and that is false. Beauty has a way of revealing to us that which is true and that which isn't. And when you look upon the beauty of Christ on the cross, you will see something true, and that is that God loves you. And you can explain that with words, but words aren't enough. We need art. We need things like fragrances. We need music, right? It's just not enough. Words are not enough. I confess that what I do right now up here is pretty wimpy compared with the reality that's being expressed through Jesus' life. So there's beauty. And this woman, when she broke that, just imagine, you've got to use your imagination here, you've got to use that part of your brain that's not just words, but you can picture her breaking that jar and pouring it out, and Jesus says, that's beautiful. That, you want to see what beauty is? That's it right there. And it represents him being broken and him being poured out on the cross. That's beautiful. The second thing that Jesus says is that she did all that she could. She had the flask, her life savings. She saw Jesus. She had this intuition of what was about to happen to him. And she didn't hold back. She didn't just think about doing it. She did it. And she was risking shame at the same time because they tried to shame her. And she goes into that place with all those men and she does this ridiculous thing of pouring it on his head. But she did what she could. I wouldn't mind having that on my tombstone. He did what he could, you know. You don't have to do it all, but you do what you can. So that tells us a little bit about why we remember this woman, but I want to go a little deeper. In verse 9 it says, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So we're, we're just kind of living out the prophecy, really, that Jesus gave that day, that we would be doing this, you know, down the road. And what I want to 
do is get you into a, a place here of uh, using that part of your brain that ties into the emotions and all the rest. But before I do that, I want to give you a thought, and I've, got, I've gotten this from, I'm borrowing this thought from others, but it t- does, you have to think it this way or you, you'll miss it. This event happened how many hours before Jesus was on the cross? 40 before he died, but he was on the cross for six hours before he died. So do the math, 34 hours roughly. And then there were events that we, prior to that that we can read about. We'll be coming to these events. And I want to walk you through some of those here in just a second. But the point I want to make is that that smell, it hasn't gone away, has it, Nick? And, we, and you know, it's only been, you know, it's only been 20 minutes or whatever, but this is a strong smell. I was still smelling this the other night. If you, by the way, if you have allergies or whatever, you may want to think twice about coming for this. So it's very, very strong stuff. Jesus got drenched with it. They didn't take showers in those days. In fact, the reason they used this stuff was to cover up a lot of the bad smells that were just part of that time. Do you see where this is going? That when Jesus is on the cross, this had to be there? That he had to be smelling this while he was dying for six hours? On his hair, his clothes, the clothes get ripped off, it's all over his body, his body's been anointed for burial. You see? Okay. What I want to ask you to do right now is go ahead and stand, because I want to get your full attention as best I can. And if you want to look at the cross, either that cross or this cross, if that helps you, great. If not, just close your eyes and use that part of your mind that ties into the emotional and the visual. And I'll just paint some pictures for you. As Jesus is walking towards the cross early on that Friday... And as they dressed him up, those who were mocking him, they dressed him in royal robes. Behold the king of the Jews. And they put a crown on his head, a crown of thorns. And all of his friends were gone, all who had followed him, all whom he had helped, all whom he had healed. None of them were there so alone and when the loneliness got too much to bear maybe then he smelled what that woman had done for him the one that we remember the one that Jesus said we would remember that fragrance and he remembers the expression of love that came through it And maybe, just maybe, it triggers memories from when he was a child and sitting on his father's lap and being loved with his mom and dad. Or maybe it triggers the memory of his baptism where his heavenly father says to him, this is my son whom I love. And he doesn't feel so alone because of what that woman did. And later in that morning, and when, it's when they whipped him before he had to take the cross up the hill. They whipped him with ropes that had glass shards attached and his back was ripped apart, torn open, blood everywhere. And then carrying that 150-pound cross up the hill on that back, 
six-inch nails being pounded into his hands, tendons and nerves being severed, his feet. And he's in that place called Golgotha, which is basically a garbage dump. It's where they put the garbage outside the city with all the smells that come with that and the smell of death. And then that fragrance comes again and he remembers the look on that woman's face when he told her she was good for doing what she did, that she was beautiful for doing what she did. And he praised her and her face lit up. And maybe Simon the leper, whose face lit up when Jesus healed him, or the woman who had blood issues for 12 years when Jesus touched her and healed her. And then finally on the cross, he's been there six hours, roughly three in the afternoon, and after hanging on the cross, He's trying to push himself up. His feet are nailed, but he has to push himself with his feet so, just so he can breathe, to take another breath. And his body is now in shock. And the soldiers around the cross are using his clothes as entertainment. He's now naked. And the weight of sin is coming down upon him more sin and searching looking around and just searching for something beautiful he catches that fragrance again in this God forsaken human forsaken place he catches the fragrance of love of that perfume and he remembers the woman and he remembers her love and the beauty of her act and how she is a reminder of him being poured out And then he senses that there is beauty and there is love even in this, the darkest of places. And that he, in spite of it all, in spite of all that he feels, knows that he is loved by his heavenly Father. Oh, oh Lord, we, we thank you for all this, that you've given us the capacity to feel and experience this text. We love you. You are beautiful. There is no one like you. And we remember this woman, as you said we would, and what she did for you on that day. And in remembering her, Lord, we remember you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to give you uh, just real... Go ahead and have a seat. There are three different stations that you can come to for anointing. And I believe uh, Nancy, right there. We'll come here, and um, Sharon will be back there, and Nick will be over here. And, you know, I've kind of prepped you for it. You don't have to do anything, so don't feel like you have to, but uh, it's an opportunity for you to hear those words. Uh, I anoint you in the fragrance of Christ, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.